0: Hello listeners and welcome to the 35th episode of the Always Drive Podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries where we take everything but ourselves seriously, which is a damn good thing because I'm your host Devlin Riggs and I completely forgot to add your moment of zen to the end of last week's episode, which I'm sure was to blame for a lot of the utter chaos that no doubt happened in your lives this past week. Uh, At 1am, it's a bit hard for me to remember everything that goes into these episodes every week, uh, especially when you're pretending to be mafiosos for half the podcast. Uh, In any case, uh, we have some interesting developments this week, especially in the areas of vehicle electrification, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Here are your top stories. (music) Ford made some big waves this week when new CEO Jim Hackett announced his plans for how to move the automaker forward into the future. Uh, on Tuesday, some sweeping changes were announced uh, that would affect many vehicles and production lines uh, in an effort to slash costs by $14 billion uh, and also uh, setting up the company to succeed in an electrified future. Uh, as a few other manufacturers have announced recently Ford's, Ford's aiming to make greater use of computer-aided design and, and uh, digital testing to reduce development time by as much as 20 or 25%, uh, which will both reduce costs and reduce model lifespans. In an age where buyers are constantly looking for the newest, hottest thing, it certainly pays to be delivering that, and shorter development cycles will help Ford stay more competitive to that point, uh, the newest and hottest things are obviously SUVs and crossovers. So Ford is reallocating $7 billion from its car division to focus on the development of, you guessed it, SUVs and crossovers. Uh, While the growth of these vehicle classes has, has obviously driven many manufacturers to introduce new crossovers of varying sizes, we see this especially with compact crossovers, uh, this is the first real announcement that the public's buying trends moving away from uh, car passenger cars and sedans is actually cutting into the development costs of cars. Um, I suspect that this has been the case uh, for a few other car makers, but Ford's really the first one to come out and say, look, you guys aren't buying cars, so we're, we're not going to spend much of our time making them or developing them anymore. And although Hackett didn't mention any specific models on the chopping block necessarily, he did mention that the number of possible configurations for cars like the Fusion would drop from about 35,000, as it is now, to just 96 possible configurations. Uh, So I, I hope you like black paint and tan seats. Um... It's been suggested that we may also see Ford start to pare back on some of their vehicle offerings, some of their models. Uh, for instance, the Fiesta. We don't know if we're going to get the next generation Fiesta here. We know we won't get an ST, um, but will we be seeing as many Ford Focuses? Or um, are they going to pare back on the Fusion or the the Taurus? You know, people aren't necessarily buying large sedans anymore. Uh, that is still very much up in the air. Uh, but what they did say is that they're also going to be redirecting funds from uh, internal combustion development and, and focusing more into electrification in an effort to catch up with the brands like GM and Nissan, who have passed them up in the EV race. Um, this apparently results in a total of about a $5 million investment in electrification, which, you know, $5 million to us sounds like a lot, but when you're talking about $7 billion moving from cars to trucks, really seems more like a drop in the bucket. Um, All this isn't to say Ford isn't making any money right now. They they definitely are. When it comes to company shareholders, there's always more that they could be doing. And as CEO, that's Hackett's job to be doing more. Uh, The thing is, other companies have fallen into this trap of pursuing uh, a focus only on shareholder value at the cost of, of character and uh, uh, the cost of uh, consumer uh, desires uh, to pretty dramatic results, and and if this is something you're interested in hearing more about, uh, I think you'll probably want to stick around for today's deep dive, and if you're not interested in that, please just stick around anyway, okay? Okay. Ford's reallocation of money to the EV budget was just the tip of the iceberg this week when it came to announcements on electrification, though. Uh, It turns out today is National Energy Efficiency Day, Uh, Thursday is, so maybe everyone was just taking advantage of the holiday to get some headlines out there. I don't know. Uh, Here's a quick recap of all the EV news this week. Uh, First, and back with Ford, the company announced that they have formed a not very creatively named team of engineers to focus on the development of electric vehicles, which they hope to launch in the next couple of years. A group called Team Edison did not mention any specific cars or specific timelines or anything other than that, hey, we exist now and, and we're doing things. Uh, but since it's Ford and they're having a tough time, maybe maybe we'll just give them a break this, just this once. Uh, General Motors, meanwhile, was a bit more specific, saying that they would launch two Bolt-based EVs in the next 18 months and have at least 20 electric or fuel cell vehicles in their lineup by 2023. Executive Vice President of Product Development, Mark Reyes, said that these cars and trucks were all part of GM's belief in an all-electric future. Uh, For Mark's reference, there's a uh, handy contact form on my website. So uh, when you need people to test out an electric Corvette, you know who to call, Mark. Um, As for companies who don't believe in an all-electric future, Mazda's partnership with Toyota will probably work out pretty well for them since Toyota is footing 90% of the bill for new electric vehicle development with Mazda and Denso. Uh, What this basically means is that any Mazda-branded vehicle that is all-electric will probably be about 90% Toyota, uh, which bodes well for reliability and technical competence if not necessarily exciting design or or necessarily handling. Um, Chinese manufacturer Cherry announced this week that they would enter the European market in 2019 or 2020 with a lineup of exclusively electrified vehicles, and that's electrified, not electric. Um, it's not to say the models will be EVs exclusively, but they will at least be battery electric hybrids probably with small gasoline motors to help extend their range. Chinese manufacturers have been pretty reluctant to extend beyond their national borders or or beyond at least Asia. So this is a big step, and we'll have to see how well the snooty Europeans accept Chinese facsimiles of some of the cars that are made in their own countries. Um, meanwhile, Nissan is hoping to attract the boy racer types with, a Nismo package for their Leaf EV. Uh, Nismo is Nissan's tuning and racing arm, and if you're struggling to think of a less race-worthy car than the Nissan Leaf, I am right there with you. Uh... The Nismo Leaf dials the aggression up to 11, adds some stiffer suspension, and apparently does actually retune the powertrain to provide that famous electric instant torque for a sportier feel and better throttle response. Normally, I'd be a little harder on Nissan here, but I think everyone is still figuring out how to actually make EVs fun, and and Nissan's trying out something different, so I I, I don't want to knock them for it, and I actually do wish them luck, and, I, and I'd be interested to drive the Nismo EV, and uh, or Leaf EV, and see if the better throttle response actually makes the Leaf a, a decent car to drive, because uh, so far all the ones I've ridden in have not been. Uh, so for all these new EVs out there, it must mean... People have started snapping them up readily, and that companies are making money hand over fist on them, right? Well, since I asked, you know the answer is, of course not. Uh, in fact, Chevy loses nine grand on every bolt sold, while Fiat Chrysler loses a massive twenty thousand dollars on every Fiat Five Hundred E that walks out of a dealership. Batteries—they still haven't reached the point that they're per kilowatt hour cost is low enough to make them economically successful car- for car makers um, where their, their margins are high enough or affordable for most buyers, at least without incentives or, or tax credits. So So why sell these cars at all? Basically, by getting these cars out there now, GM and Fiat and Tesla and others are demonstrating competence. They're, they're building a track record of success and ironing out flaws for even better second versions of these cars when they actually become profitable. Not to mention that by, by ramping up production now, companies can accelerate the economies of scale so that maybe they don't have to wait until 2030 before battery costs become manageable. That's it for your top stories. Here are some quick hits. Back in February of this year, Elon Musk estimated at the that the Model 3 production would ramp up in September, which it has indeed, but unfortunately, he estimated that the company would be churning out about 4,000 of them during the month of September. That estimate was revised to be 1,500 in August, which still proved to be too challenging to meet, even though you'd think that, in August, they would have had a pretty good handle on how things would be going the very next month. Tesla ended up only producing 260 Bottle 3s during September, about 18% of their stated goal, which has to be frustrating to Musk, who has claimed that production bottlenecks are to blame for the weak production numbers. Thing is, any MBA graduate will tell you that there are many courses on how to forecast both demand and production, and there are a ton of MBAs out there. Hell, they even gave one to me. What's happening here is either Elon Musk is making up numbers, or he's hiring the wrong people to execute on his vision. Either way, what we've gotten from Tesla is what we're used to getting, an exciting new product, only much, much later than it was originally promised. One thing that might be distracting Tesla from meeting their stated 500,000 vehicle production goal next year is their other battery business where they provide off-the-grid energy storage systems for commercial and residential applications. They're doing something pretty cool right now by sending a bunch of Powerwall batteries along with solar panels to power them down to Puerto Rico to help out with the recovery efforts down there. You may have heard that Puerto Rico's entire electrical grid was destroyed by Hurricane Maria. The island has an unprecedented opportunity to choose how to rebuild, and I'm certain a distributed renewable heavy energy generation network is probably the most attractive. To take full advantage of that, though, they'll need some energy storage options for when the renewables are generating more energy than is being used. And hey, guess what? Tesla has just the thing for you. Uh, Nah, but good for Tesla. It's a nice gesture regardless of their hidden agenda. So, you know how if you have a relationship with someone and they do some kind of shitty things that just make you no longer want to hang out with them, but you can't just call them out on all their shit because you have some mutual friends that you want to hang on to and your history goes back kind of far? Well, that's basically the exact scenario that's going on between Uber and their founder, Travis Kalanick, right now. Apparently, Kalanick tried to power play uh, the company by naming two directors to the board, which he can apparently still do, or rather could do. Uh, Uber's board has since voted to limit his power, effectively making him just a normal shareholder rather than one with some sort of superpowers. If the freeze-out doesn't work, might I recommend the board look into the fadeaway and just pretend not to see Travis's calls or texts? I sort of made the executive decision not to cover recalls in this podcast anymore because of the sheer number of them these days, but Nissan had a whopper this week. Uh, The company is recalling every single passenger car it sold in the past three years in Japan because apparently none of them ever received their final inspection, or maybe they did and they were not authorized to have had them. Uh, But anyway, this means 1.2 million vehicles are going to have to go back into dealerships for someone in coveralls to take a look around and say, yep, it looks just like the boys in assembly did their jobs. Go ahead and be on your way. The company is investigating whether this was a deliberate deception by people not doing their jobs or a simple oversight. And I think we can probably rule out the latter. After all, what kind of simple oversight results in over a million cars being pushed out the door without final review over the course of three years? If it was some sort of master plan, then there is some genius level of brilliance to have avoided doing your job for three years without getting caught. In its reporting to the state of California this week, General Motors indicated that its autonomous cars have been involved in six crashes during the month of September, which is a lot given the relatively few number of autonomous cars out there. Fortunately for GM, they reported that none of the crashes were the fault of the autonomous vehicles, and that other drivers, or in some cases drunk bicyclists, just seem incapable of not hitting them, providing further evidence that we are the reason that we can't have nice things. In Germany, Alfa Romeo has put its Stelvio SUV around the Nürburgring, where it managed to not break down while also getting a new record set for a production SUV. As Jalopnik pointed out, the video of the record appears to be edited in at least two places, which is obviously a huge scandal, or it would be if anybody cared, which nobody does. In actually impressive record news, Koenigsegg saw Bugatti pull its 0 to 249 miles an hour to 0 miles per hour trick with the Chiron and got on the phone to their nearest abandoned airstrip. Uh, It happened to be in Denmark, where they sent an Agera RS, owned by a private citizen, not the manufacturer, and got it to beat the Bugatti's time by more than five seconds, which is absolutely massive in racing terms. I mentioned in that story that the Bugatti isn't just about speed, it's about the overall package, but it turns out Koenigsegg owners are are keen to point out that there are other complete packages out there that do the speed thing even better than Bugatti does. Rotella, which is a completely unrelated company to both Rotel Queso and Nutella, uh, despite being a portmanteau of the two names, has launched a campaign to recognize an official vehicle of the USA— Uh, Rotella makes engine lubricants and is owned by Royal Dutch Shell, which makes it all the more curious that they're trying to promote an official car for not their own country. Uh, Their selection for the official car of America? The pickup truck. Uh, Not any particular model, just a good old pickup truck, which probably says a lot of mostly unfavorable things about how Americans are viewed abroad, but is also not entirely inaccurate. Everything is bigger in Texas, which includes the pain in the ass your homeowners association proves to be, at least if you are a rich lawyer who parks his tank on residential streets. A Houston attorney who is undoubtedly keenly aware of the laws governing what he can and can't do with his tank uh, has been unswayed by the HOA's complaints of his tank being unsafe despite really not being any less safe than any other cars parked along their ritzy street. The tank in question is apparently an immaculately restored Sherman that took part in D-Day and rolled through Paris and onto Berlin where it helped the Allies win World War II. Unfortunately, the rich jerk residents of the River Oaks neighborhood who don't support the troops, or at least the tanks the troops used, want it out. The attorney's response? Sure. Yeah, you go ahead and try and tow it. Your move, HOA. In China this week, the world provided further evidence that it gives zero shits about us and will do as it pleases by opening up a sinkhole in the middle of a road and swallowing up one Rolls-Royce. No other cars were involved, and the driver wasn't injured, but if you're that guy, you have to feel some sort of Final Destination stuff is going on here, right? I mean, the hole opened up just for you and your car— And you probably only survived because you spent 500 grand on a land yacht that is 16 feet long and didn't fall completely into the sinkhole. Although the driver's probably pretty pissed that the planet has messed up his expensive car, he's probably pretty happy he wasn't driving a Hyundai Elantra, which everyone knows is perfectly sinkhole shaped. Nissan. Makers of the immaculate seats in my old G35 coupe have come out with a new seat that claims to know when you're dehydrated. The technology called Soak uh, changes colors if your seat senses that your sweat is high in salt, which suggests dehydration. What happens then is apparently nothing apart from you look at your car seat and say, huh, I guess I am thirsty. Uh, even one of the professors at Cardiff University, which partnered with Nissan on developing this technology, admitted that it is, quote, on the edge of usefulness, end quote, which is as close to saying pointless as you can get without offending the car company that probably gave you thousands of dollars to come up with something cool. Don't worry, Nissan. We're disappointed in them, too. Here are some new cars. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless brand while everyone has been obsessing over Land Rover's apparent plans to make a car, they are still firmly focused on SUVs and debuted their new P400E this week. Uh, it's basically a hybrid Range Rover, which makes sense given the current obsession with EVs and every company's plan to electrify all their vehicles at some point. Uh, The Range Rover P400E is powered by a turbocharged four-cylinder engine and an electric motor, which combine for about 400 horsepower. Uh, It has a pretty large 13.1-kilowatt-hour lithium battery that allows it to travel 31 miles on EV mode, uh, which is great because it means you'll never hear it coming when the trophy wife hits and kills you in the supermarket parking lot while texting and putting on makeup. Uh, Not to stereotype, but... um, Yeah, maybe a little bit. Uh, If you've ever wondered what it would look like if somebody tried to take a Jeep Wrangler and turn it into a Warthog from the Halo video game series, uh, the Resvani tank is probably just about as close as it comes. The California company nauseatingly refers to it as an extreme utility vehicle, and yes, extreme starts with an X, not an E, just like all of your favorite toys from the 1990s um it doesn't to my knowledge come with a free can of surge but it damn well should uh to their credit though it is pretty extreme uh, it's totally murdered out uh lifted or as their press release probably says jacked and they've swapped out the jeep's inline six for a 500 horsepower hemi v8 which seems like an awful idea for a lifted top heavy truck on mudding tires Uh, For the paranoid types, you can order your Resvani tank with FLIR thermal night vision, Kevlar armor, bulletproof glass, and even leather seats. Uh, But given that this thing starts at $178,000, I don't think we'll see many of them rolling around cities with those big zombie response vehicle stickers plastered all over them now if you've stuck around for an in-depth discussion on uh shareholder value creation or just want to learn about how i think honda is trying to get their mojo back uh you are in luck In Frankfurt, Honda unveiled its new Urban EV concept, which I think was actually my favorite car from what turned out to be a pretty decent show, despite nine manufacturers sitting it out this year. Uh, It brought to mind the 2008 Los Angeles Auto Show, which uh, I attended on the only press pass I've ever been given, uh, where I saw the unveiling of the original electric Mini. The similarities are obvious—a small two-door hatchback with quirky retro styling and an electric motor of unknown range or output. But it's where the differences are that I think make the Urban EV a bit of a turning point for Honda, or at least it could be if they read the market and handle it correctly. Unlike many, Honda isn't known for its retro styling and quirkiness. It's just about as mainstream as it comes. So when they unveil a car that harkens back to their 1969 N400 or even a 1972 first-generation Civic hatchback, you know that there's been a change in the mindset in the design department that allowed for such a radical departure, not just from Honda's current design language, but from the body styles of most electric vehicles we've seen to date. The Prius, the Leaf, the Bolt, the Volt... Countless other EVs and hybrids all share the four-door liftback look that's designed to maximize aerodynamics, but as a consequence, minimizes visual interest. The Urban EV, on the other hand, takes aerodynamics and throws a fat brick-shaped car with traditional proportions and a modern take on retro styling at it, shattering the stereotypical green car design. You might expect that from Kia or Jaguar, but not from good old mainstream Honda. Sure, they tried and failed with the CR-Z to shake up the hybrid game, but surely they've learned their lesson from putting out a half-baked product bathed in nostalgia. According to a recent and excellent article by Reuters, Honda has learned a lot of lessons lately, and they're looking to act on and move on from. So that makes the Urban EV concept even more relevant as a potential turning point. If you have the time and interest, by all means read the full story on Reuters, but the major theme of the story is that Honda lost their character in the pursuit of shareholder greed. Uh, Starting around 2003 under then-new chief executive Takeo Fukui, Honda began allowing the accountants to dictate design and kept tightening the purse strings until the cord snapped. Rapid cost-cutting and unreasonable budget goals forced designers to reel in not just creativity but luxury, and as their competitors surged forward to meet the standard that Honda themselves set, Honda were stepping back to ensure greater returns and provide greater value to shareholders. The company rested on its laurels, which ultimately cost them their coveted Consumer Reports recommended status, leading to costly redesigns just to catch up with the competitors that they themselves allowed to pass them. Executives at the time claimed they were trying to be too much like Toyota, whose market shares always eclipsed Honda's, but that's an excuse I just don't buy. While Honda was scaling back, Toyota was scaling up, coming out with vehicles like the FJ Cruiser and the MR2 Spider, while totally refreshing the Tacoma, Tundra, Forerunner, Camry and others. If Honda had been trying to be Toyota, they would have been pushing the envelope, that rather than rubber stamping all the old models and sending them out the door with minor facelifts and cheap interiors. So it comes down to shareholder greed and trying to maximize profits on the back of prior successes. But one need only look at this year's development in the stock market to prove that Honda could have continued to innovate without sacrificing value. Tesla, without making a single Model 3, at one point in 2017 had consistently higher market value than General Motors. And they did so based on innovation and market disruption. If Honda's looking for inspiration on how to provide value without sacrificing that character, they need to be looking at Tesla, not Toyota. Fortunately for Honda, their current CEO, Takahiro Hachigo, gets it. He's unshackled the designers and is encouraging collaboration across their global studio locations not to find the cheapest way to make the same car they have been, but to find the best car they can make to meet the evolving needs of their consumers. This not only creates shareholder value as a market leader, it honors Honda's tradition of innovation. Which leads us back to the urban EV concept a funky city car that checks a lot of boxes for today's young car buyers. No, it's not a compact crossover, but maybe it has enough character to convince buyers they don't actually need an elevated ride height and compromised handling characteristics if they're just using it to get to Whole Foods and back. And since the platform is flexible, if Honda decides they want to make an urban EV CUV, they'll be able to. They've already announced an electric sport coupe that will be based on the urban EV concept, so, at least from an enthusiast's perspective, Honda looks like they're finally heading in the right direction. Forward. So, this week has been pretty rough. Between Puerto Rico's devastation at the hands of Maria and the massacre in Las Vegas, happy headlines have been very few and far between. Uh, a painful reminder from these events is the unpredictability of life and how tragically it can be cut so short by any number of things. So this week for my call to action, I want you all to take stock of the important people in your life and go hug someone you care about. Your your partner, your family, friend, or even co-worker. Unless they're Jerry Seinfeld, they'll probably appreciate it and you'll appreciate knowing that you made someone's day better. Hugs they're not going to solve the world's problems, but neither will the individual actions of my limited number of listeners. The least we can do, though, is make a few problems seem a little less severe by showing one another that we care about them. This week, we also saw the loss of Tom Petty, who is uh, one of my favorite musicians. Uh, his timeless classic rock has soundtracked many Happy Drive for me, and I know countless others. So to honor his memory, I thought I'd play a bit of one of his best driving songs. Thank you all for joining me this week. We'll see you back here next week for episode 36. In the meantime, here is your moment of zen.